This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome into Browns Phone Breakdown. I'm your host, Jake Burns, writer at Cleveland.com. Coming at you guys on, uh, I don't know, maybe Monday. I lose track of days. We're losing track of time. This is the worst time of year I say at every podcast, but we're finally in camp week. It's time to start actually having serious football conversations that matter a little bit. The Browns are uh, every bit as newsworthy as anybody else. Maybe the most newsworthy team heading into the week. I'm going to Berea Thursday. I'll be there through the entirety of camp. I'm really looking forward to covering the entire thing. Should be a circus, which is a good thing if you're, you know, if you're running into a media circus, that means you're doing the right things as a franchise. The Browns have set themselves up in the right way. A lot of talent, a lot of influx of interesting talent, a quarterback going into year two, and I thought as we approach what is fantasy draft season, uh, daily fantasy sports, all of those fun things are sort of at the front here. It would be a good time to talk to none other than the savant, Evan Silva, the man who is the co-founder of EstablishTheRun.com, which is the new site that is taking off. You guys should be paying attention to. Evan, how you doing, man? Jake, I'm doing really, really well, man. Um, you know, this is what our second or third uh, podcast together. Always have good football conversations with you. Really, really expect your, uh, respect your knowledge about the game and you know, certainly your insight on the Browns. And I'm looking forward to quiz- quizzing you a little bit, too. Let's do it, man. Let's do a little back and forth. So I, I sent Evan a list of questions, five things I really wanted to pick his mind about. But this could go any direction, you know, anywhere. It could go left, right, whatever. We don't know. It's just going to be a back and forth. Hopefully you guys enjoy it. So first question I put on the plate here is, as fantasy football approaches, because I play fantasy, I've played it since I was in college, is is who of the Browns, we know about the weapons. we got all these, these four wide receivers who should have healthy numbers, a tight end who people are paying attention to, a quarterback, two running backs, maybe three. Of this group, Evan, other than the easy answer, which is Odell Beckham, because I think he's going to be a top flight wide receiver, who else are you paying attention to that you think is just a really good sort of buy in the fantasy market? Yeah, so one of the problems, if you can call it that, and it's obviously good in real life, like for the real-life Browns, but it creates a, a dilemma for fantasy projections is the fact that there are so many weapons here, and there's only one ball to go around. But if you think about it like a basketball team, and you look at like who's the distributor on the basketball team, we're looking at Baker Mayfield as a top-five fantasy quarterback this year um, in one of the top two tiers, probably behind Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson. But in the mix to score like Andrew Luck and Aaron Rodgers, right now I have Baker Mayfield as my number five fantasy quarterback. He was the number seven fantasy quarterback uh, after you know Hugh Jackson got fired and Fr- Freddie Kitchens took over. Um, so he's behind those four guys, but uh, he is uh, ahead of like Russell Wilson, Carson Wentz, Cam Newton, and Matt Ryan. So have pretty high expectations for Baker Mayfield. Hey, if you're drafting against Browns fans, he's probably going to go like way too early, you know, but um, if you could get into a league where it's not just populated with a bunch of Browns fans, he's still pretty reasonably priced in drafts. 
You mentioned Odell Beckham. You know, he's going to cost you a first-round pick or a really early second-round pick. So, obviously, he's a great guy to get on your team, and I think he's going to benefit from the best quarterback play of his career. This season, Baker Mayfield, as a rookie, averaged 7.7 yards per pass attempt. He was up at 8.6 yards per pass attempt uh, after Freddie took over. And Eli Manning, who, of course, was Odell Beckham's quarterback for the first five years of his career, has only gotten to 7.5 yards per pass attempt. I mean, he hasn't gotten there in eight years. Um, And Baker Mayfield was at 7.7, even if you include the, the Hugh Jackson games. And then another thing that stood out to me when I was researching Odell Beckham and his history with the Giants and his potential impact on Baker Mayfield is just how much more productive Eli Manning was whenever Beckham was in the lineup for the Giants. They, they played five years together. Eli averaged 4.2 more fantasy points per game whenever Beckham played. So Odell Beckham is the kind of guy that can elevate the play of his quarterback. And I think we're going to see Baker Mayfield elevate Odell Beckham's play too. And that's pretty scary. And I think that if you had to set odds, you know, just talking about another player, if you had to set odds on which running back would lead the NFL in rushing touchdowns over the first half of the season, I think that Nick Chubb would have to be right up there with anyone. This team is going to live in the red zone. They're going to score a lot of points. They're going to be really aggressive offensively. So I really like getting Nick Chubb late in the second round of drafts. He does have some concerns because, you know, he only averaged two catches per game in his starts last season. So if you're playing in a PPR league, you know, you, you bump him down a little bit. Um, and then he's probably going to lose touches when Kareem Hunt comes off suspension in week 10, and that's going to hurt you in the fantasy playoffs. So that's the reason that he's not like a, a, a locked-in first-round pick, but he still he does go in the second round in most drafts, and um, I'm very willing to take him there. Yeah, do you think like, um, you know, between if you're picking between Higgins Callaway, which which one of those two do you feel good about? Yeah, so Antonio Callaway, down the stretch last year, played more snaps than Rashard Higgins. You know, I kind of view it as like uh, Antonio Callaway is like the direct backup for Odell Beckham, mm-hmm. and then Rashard Higgins, his game is a little bit more you know similar to Jarvis Landry. So if one of those guys get, gets hurt you know, in the starting lineup, then I think we're, there will be just a one-for-one exchange. Um but, yeah, I, I mean, I think that's one of the biggest, you know, battles in, in training camp. I think that ideally you would want Antonio Callaway to win that job and be a, a speedster on the perimeter. Odell Beckham's going to play most of his snaps on the perimeter. Jar- uh, and Jarvis Landry's going to play most of his snaps in the slot. Um, and then Antonio Callaway can be a guy who gets, you know, four to six targets per game. I think, you know, not big volume, but he can lift the lid a little bit. And, you know, I know he was so inconsistent last year, but like you, we, we definitely saw the flashes from the preseason onward whenever he was healthy. And, you know, this guy didn't even play football in 2017. So we can kind of like, you know, craft a, a little narrative where we can forgive him for being super rusty after not, you know, at age, you miss an entire season of football at age 20 or 21 or whatever he is, you know, and, and I mean, that, that's kind of a detriment to your development. So I, I kind of expect a big leap from him in efficiency. Not that he's going to be getting a ton of targets because Odo Beckham and Jarvis Landry and, and Joku are going to be getting, you know, hogging the targets. But I think that we're going to see him be a lot, just a lot better football player in his second year in the NFL. Yeah, great point. I think it'll be super interesting, too, to pay attention to Jarvis Landry, sort of where he's going, because to me, 
he's been like a 150 target guy. I don't think he's ever. I, I don't think you can say this anymore with any more certainty. He's never played with anybody in the NFL like Odell. He's never really truly played with an absolute number one wide receiver. So the 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 thing that was interesting to me, Evan, was his depth of target changed drastically last year in Cleveland. They they thought of him as more of a downfield guy, which I think everybody who's paid attention knew that that might not be the best route to go. And um, they got some good, they got some bad out of him, but I'm very interested to see with Monken coming into this offense, sort of giving another set of fresh eyes, if they tweak up how they use Landry, bring him more as a closer to the line of scrimmage yards per target guy, air yards per target, and say, hey, let's put this guy with quick, use his quick agility in and out of cuts, both off the ball, both with the ball in his hands, let him use that agility, then take a few more advantageous risks down the field, back shoulder type throws, and stop trying to push the ball downfield with him you know, consistently. So that, that to me, makes Landry interesting. I, I think he might have less yards, less targets, less catches, but he probably, uh, in an ideal world, has more touchdowns than four. So I think that's worth in- noting, too, for the fantasy uh, world out there. I just think that'll be interesting with him. And that takes me to the next topic, which I'm fascinated to know your opinion about. About a month ago... There were some leaks. I think Mike Silver was the one who who uh, ran with this, which was Todd Monken and Freddie Kitchens, and um, you know I think the report was that Monken's wasn't establishing himself or wasn't working as well with the offense as Freddie Kitchens anticipated, and Freddie Kitchens had to take over more of the role than he you know he wanted. Well, we're three months into this relationship and we're already reporting these sorts. Do you buy into that stuff? Um, I wanted to get your opinion on this, but I'll give mine first. So, um, yeah, I mean, look, you know, Mike Silver's history with the Browns kind of created immediate skepticism. By the way, I met I met Mike Silver at uh, the combine. He had me blocked on Twitter, and I was like, "Yo, man, like, can you unblock me?" And uh, he actually did. He like showed me that, that he unblocked me. So, so that that was kind of funny. But um, I'm sure he's very so- aware of that stuff, man. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but he's, I mean, he's not a bad guy, but, no. but I do think that, you know, in, in some ways that like he has a little bit of a, you know, I don't know if a, a grudge is the right word, but I think that he's got a little bit of a bone to pick. Um, and I mean, he's been, I'm sure harassed by Browns fans so much that he probably, you know, he's to the point where he's probably kind of fed up with, with, with Browns fans. I'm not sure that that's necessarily impacting his reporting. Maybe it could impact like the way that he hears what he hears though. Um, and just the fact that it was not corroborated by anyone else, like only Mike Silver had this report is not, I, have you heard that it was like corroborated anywhere else? No. So I dug as far as I could dig with people that are typically connected in Cleveland and I couldn't come across anybody that's heard any, I think the Duke Johnson was just situation. He also reported on was just sort of, you know, a de facto thing that it would make sense that the, the locker room would talk to him. But yeah, the caveat at the end, which not many people were talking about, which was really strange to me, which is to throw out this narrative about those. I think you're, I think you're specifically right about the bone to pick. I don't think Mike Silver's a bad guy. I think he's very close to Hugh. The friendship worked in his detriment because of how poor a job Hugh Jackson was doing. He had to honor his friend, but also has a job to do. So I don't think he walked that line as narrowly as he needed to walk it. But at the same time, I do understand like his side of things, and I understand where the fan base gets rubbed the wrong way. So like you said, the skepticism that comes with that from him, I immediately raised a red flag. Not to the Duke Johnson stuff, because like that's a completely different topic that I've given my opinion a lot about what Baker said and all of that. But like 
I just feel like the way that that was presented was it's very strange so early into a relationship and it's almost like Mike wants to do like a, a almost an aha or gotcha or I knew right. this would happen so he was very eager to run with that especially from like a coaching perspective which was a little bit interesting to me but you know if if my opinion on it is it's too early. And those two do, like, if you look at what those two did together, or sorry, separate the year prior, um, they, you know, Freddie did a lot of different things. A lot of 13 personnel, the most in the NFL. They did a lot of three running back stuff. They, they, they did a lot of idiosyncratic things offensively. And it's like, I think there is going to be a process by which Todd Monken has these things he loves to do and would love to see implemented with this personnel. That's logical. He brings to the table what he's good at. Freddie's going to say, hey, I've worked with this personnel before. I know the weaknesses we have at tackle. I know some of the personnel decisions, things that we can do to help them. So we need to find this perfect balance of blending your downfield uh, you know, explosive play attack with my ability to sort of work in extra protection to help out the quarterback sort of thing. So it will be... It will be a process. Anytime an offensive coordinator and a head coach come together, it's very rare, unless the two have worked together multiple years, for them to just be bang, bang, bang on the same page. It will come together. You got my opinion is this: you got two really smart people, and I can, I really, you know, Freddie has the southern drawl stuff, but I think he's a very smart football mind. I think those two will work really well. It might not click instant instantly, but it will sort of funnel in by the end of the year that you're looking at the numbers as we're doing, and you're saying, okay. The Browns maximize their personnel. That's where I'm at with it. Yeah, and I mean, I think that they both want to push the ball vertically. Um, they both have had to compensate for subpar pass protection in the past. I mean, Tampa Bay did not have a great offensive line. And, you know, the the Bucks last year finished number four in the NFL in um, yards per play. Uh, you mentioned that, you know, the Browns had to make adjustments in order to deal with their limitations and pass protection uh, down the stretch last season, and they both had success while having to compensate for those weaknesses. If they have, if they do have any problems between them, I hope they work it out because Todd Monken's track record is super impressive. He was LSU's passing game coordinator in Jamarcus Russell's big season at LSU. He ran the Oklahoma State offenses that tricked NFL evaluators into thinking that Brandon Whedon was worth a first-round pick. Um, last year, they had so much success. Uh, with with the below average offensive line in Tampa Bay, rotating quarterbacks, a uh, really weak running game, and then you go back to his track record, at Ole Miss. You know, Todd Monken inherited a Southern Miss, Miss team that had gone 0 and 12 the season before, and he recruited Nick Mullins out of nowhere. Nick Mullins actually, by the way, finished top five in the NFL in yards per pass attempt last year for the 49ers, um, and then by year three at Southern Miss. Todd Monken had them at nine and five, had him in a bowl game. Nick Mullins threw 38 touchdown passes this that season. So Todd Monken has not just been an impressive offensive coach. He's been a program builder. Yeah, I'm with you. I think that that's why the marriage, they'll make it work. If he's if he's been able to take so many great things from some of these stops that you mentioned there, Evan, I just have a hard time. I guess we've seen like really smart minds come together and clash. But that would just be an out-of-the-norm thing. So I think that they'll find a way to make it work. And that's why I tried to write at the time, like, just don't worry about that. Because that stuff is early. There might be a time Freddie sits down and says, yeah, man, me and Todd are trying to get on the same they'll, they'll get on the same page. They're two smart people that aren't, like, 
I don't I don't find either of them when I've been around them to be guys who are ego driven guys. So I think they'll work it out. So um, we're going to switch to personnel topic, but before we do, I got to talk to you guys about something that we believe in at Blue Wire, which is uh, Eight Sleep, which is a great product, guys. Sleep optimization is a big thing. Most Americans are not getting enough sleep. Tech founders and CEOs are optimizing their sleep to perform at peak levels every day. You should be too. Get the Pod by Eight Sleep, the ultimate sleep machine. The Pod is the first and only high tech bed designed to help you achieve peak mind and body performance. You're looking to sleep deeper. The Pod automatically adjusts the temperature on each side of the bed so you're comfortable all night. You want to know what sleep intel is like? The pod tracks your biometrics while you sleep. No need for wearable technology or any stuff like that. If you're worried about sleeping better, enjoy personalized programs, coaching designed by experts, guiding you toward true sleep fitness. This is the real deal. So try the pod for 100 full nights. That's a lot of nights. 100 full nights. You don't love it. We'll refund your purchase. Arrange a free pickup. So that's only at 8sleep. Spell it out. E-I-G-H-T-S-L-E-E-P.com. 8sleep slash blue wire. They already sold out of their first two batches, so they're going fast for a limited time. Get $150 off your first purchase when you go to 8sleep.com slash bluewire. Go there, guys. Improve your sleep. Back to the pod. Evan, next question for you, man. I think this is going to be interesting. The Browns have a lot of really good young talent. They have their elite young talent. They have Baker. They have Denzel. They have Miles Garrett. They have elite young talent. Then they have this sort of next tier down. The Browns fans are not accustomed to when they talk about letting players, good players, leave. Good Good franchises, Patriots, Falcons, uh, Panthers to an extent over time, Eagles. They let You have to let talent leave. Can't afford them all. Salary cap becomes a problem. Browns defense is led by two sort of next-tier talent guys, Joe Schobert, Demarius Randall, both of which are up for um, you know contracts in the next year. Browns didn't ha- re-sign any of them as of now. There's some Demarius talk, but it doesn't seem like it's gone anywhere. If you could pick one of those two having watched them, which one do you think you would pick? Yeah, this is this is a good question. And I, first of all, I really think that they should be able to extend both these guys' contracts. But I think that if I had to decide between them, I'd probably go with Joe Schobert because he's such a good coverage linebacker, and those guys are so hard to find. And obviously last year he missed too many tackles, and I think the hamstring injury that he had just wasn't the same after he came back from it. But you know, he's a true three-down linebacker, and you know he's also a homegrown guy who came up in the organization – Paid his dues under Hugh Jackson and Greg Williams, and what an awful situation that was. So yeah, I think that extending Joe Schobert should be a priority. Demarius Randall has been inconsistent throughout his career, but I think he kind of found a home going back to safety, uh, where he primarily played at Arizona State, was mainly a cornerback uh, in Green Bay. But I think that really they need to get both of these guys signed. You have a quarterback on a rookie deal. You have a competitive advantage with the salary cap. The salary cap is going up every year. So I think you need to get both of these guys signed. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think I've thought it's realistic. It's just interesting to me some of these discussions. Now, I didn't prepare you for this one because I like to give I like to give anybody I have on a little bit of an idea of what we're going to talk about. But you're talking about re-signing both of these guys, Evan. I'm into it. I like it. But then next year you look at the salary cap bubble starts to fade a little bit. Some of that rollover is gone. A name that gets interesting on the cut block. We're getting very out in front of us here. I'm just interested in your opinion. It's next year. Things are a little bit tighter. They maybe don't get a ton of production, but they're paying him like a really productive player. Does Jarvis Landry become somebody as his dead cap is minimal next year that they would consider moving on from? Mm-hmm. That's a really interesting question, um, especially because, well, you know, Rashard Higgins' co- contract is coming up too. Uh-huh. So, you know, you're going to have to pay. I mean, you can't just do like a, you know, it's it's not going to like. And Rashard Higgins is. 
I think he's made enough progress that he's probably going to be a guy that like goes out and gets overpaid if he hits the market. Um, so I don't know. I mean, that was one of John Dorsey's, you know, biggest moves in, in his first off season as the GM. And I think that he's going to want to try to keep Jarvis Landry around. Um, but you're right. I mean, they, they have been very, very aggressive, uh, with the money that they've spent. Um, so, you know, I don't know if it, it's going to come down to, to Jarvis Landry or, you know, it, just if you if you had like if Rashard Higgins still had a few years left on his deal, I think that would make more sense. Um, but I mean, he's coming up, so it, it's going to be a tough time. And, and Antonio Callaway is not like a slot receiver, I don't think. You know, Jarvis Landry is a slot receiver. Rashard Higgins can be a slot receiver. Um, I don't know if they if they find another guy to to play the slot, maybe that could become a possibility. But I'm sure they're going to try to avoid it. Yeah, I think it gets really interesting. I've thought about this one a lot because next year there's not a ton of money that just falls off the books. Like Greg Robinson's a one-year rental, but like big deals that fall off. Christian Kirksey, who's performed poorly the past few years, sort of a big year. It's not sort of. It is a big year for him. They can move on from him easily. And then I think the other big money player on the roster that they can move on from is Jarvis. Now, I think a lot of people are sort of trending that direction. Maybe if he doesn't put up the production he normally does because the targets fade. But it's like, to me... The deal to bring Beckham to Cleveland. Now, it didn't have a, you know, it's a, it's a lot about how great Odell Beckham is, but, like, they felt comfortable making that deal because of the relationship that he has with Jarvis and Adam Henry. And it, I just think it would be really crazy. It wouldn't be crazy, but it would just be sort of like, whoa to me, reaction if they moved on from him one year after reuniting him and him and Odell. I could see some sort of contract restructure, though, that might open up some more front-end dollars, but I just thought I'd get your opinion on it. It's interesting. The last two questions to me are vital, okay? Smart guy like yourself, one of the best at predicting week-to-week games. Where do you have the Browns at win production this year? So total wins 2019. So... The Browns win total this season on FanDuel Sportsbook, you know, it's, it, it, they can differ from, from book to book. But it's, mm-hmm. it's nine and a half, and it actually opened at nine. So it got bet up by a half win. Um, the Browns haven't even gotten to eight wins since 2007. So inherently we're talking about a, a bit of a leap of faith, obviously, betting the over. But the talent is very obviously there in terms of playmakers on both sides of the ball. We have the Browns projected to face the fourth softest schedule in the league this year. So I personally am projecting this, them to be a nine to 11 win team. If I was projecting them at eight to 10 wins, I'd like the under, but I like the over on nine and a half. I think that ultimately they are going to be, you know, a a nine to 11 win team. And that takes me towards the over. But I also think that you need to play devil's advocate. You know, you ask yourself ways your bet could go wrong. And I have some concerns about the Browns depth. Um, Mm -hmm. Other teams at the top of the league, like the Eagles and the Colts, they have much deeper rosters. My biggest concern is with the offensive line, which we've talked about a little bit. Uh, we had Brandon Thorne, maybe one of the, the top offensive line analysts in the game, do a big column on on, uh, on EstablishTheRun.com. He ranked offensive lines from 1 to 32 with explanations for each team. He has the Browns at number 27. So that's bottom, what, six in the league. And, you know, one of your greatest strengths last year was the interior line. You trade away Kevin Zeitler. Um there might not be three shakier tackle situations in the league than Greg Robinson and Chris Hubbard. So I think that Demetrius Harris probably ends up playing a ton because he's your blocking tight end. He's going to have to help those guys. But I'm pretty concerned about the offensive line, and I'd be interested to know 
what you think about it, Jake. Yeah, no, I, I've I've tried to be as adamant about the questions that they have at right and left tackle and how that could be sort of a a situation that leads to Freddie and Todd trying to get on the same pages is figuring out what did Freddie do to help because I think Freddie did a lot of things to help Evan. I think he did the routine stuff, chipping a tight end, aligning a tight end on that same side as an elite rusher to slow down somebody or change their course or use a back to help out. But the biggest thing that they did, or, or not that they did, is just that Baker Mayfield started to feel comfortable in his routes to escape the pocket when things got crazy. I just thought, ironically enough, it lined up with that Week 9 game when Kansas City when, when, when Freddie took over, but I thought that Baker, the game slowed down for him some. He started to really feel how to help his tackles out in terms of stepping up, sliding, getting out, spinning out, whatever the, uh, the route was to get out of situations that got murky. He did a much better job with that. Greg still didn't perform well, and Chris would have had an uneven first half. He was a little bit better the second half of the year, but the left tackle spot, I think we all presume that Greg Robinson did really well, and he was fine. He was an upgrade over Desmond Harrison, which doesn't mean much, but he he was fine, but he still had 10 penalties. He gave up some sacks, a key holding against the Texans that took seven points off the board when they needed him on a long touchdown. So, like, he's got to prove it. That deal is there to say, Hey, we didn't think there was anybody better at our draft position or on the free agent market that we could get. We're going to roll with you another year. Let's prove it. But that I think Brandon spot on. I've had Brandon on this pod to talk specifically the Browns O line. And Mm -hmm. it it is, it is right and left tackle are, are murky. And then you're again, the ultimate analysis here, which is fun from people who love analytics. And I've tried to understand them myself is What's more important, an offensive playmaker on the outside or an interior guard? I think that that is going to be proven relatively quickly. If the Browns are continuing to give up right guard pressure because of whoever they start, whether that is um, you know, Kyle Kalis or whether that's Austin Corbett, whoever, it's going to be interesting to see if they can get the ball to those playmakers or specifically the playmaker that they traded for without having interior pressure become a problem. I think they've risked a lot. I don't think I disagree with the risk because when you can get a transcendent talent uh, at wide receiver, I think it's tough to turn that down. But they are risking a lot, and they're going to have to rely on James Campen, who's had some some good things on his resume and had some poor things on his resume, to really produce with this group and bring along some middling talent to the next level because their skill positions are loaded. I think Bill Barnwell had him at third in the NFL, which I'm a believer in that, right around that top five range. It's very good, but... The only thing that can slow this thing down and mitigate everything is that offensive line if they don't perform at least adequately. They don't have to be a top 10 in line league, but they can't finish like Brandon ha- or like Brandon has in there at 27. They just they can't they can't yeah. be that they can't be that low. This will slow down that offense. So that's where I'm at with it, man. I think it's it's a risk, but we'll we'll have this conversation week 17 and we'll be saying, hey, they were a genius by making this risk, or hey, this is why it went wrong. So um, that's where I'm at with it. I, and this kind of carries the last one, Evan, which is kind of hot take. Anything Cleveland-based, like I, I've opened this up to props too, like any prop bets, people that, you know, people love to like bet season-long props, like just an example, some of you don't listen who don't bet, like an over-under on the year might be 1,000 rushing yards for Nick Chubb, just an example. So that's like a season-long prop. There's game-to-games, but I like season-long stuff too. So through that to you, if you have anything there, and then sort of any other hot takes that you think might come to fruition or might prove the Browns were wrong in some department. Um, well, first of all, I like the fact that you brought up um, just how big of an impact the quarterback can have on the protection um, and just can make the protection look a lot better, you know, just by being mobile in the pocket and, you know, being creative in the pocket and spinning away from pressure and, 
you know, having great vision and keeping your eyes downfield and all that, you know, um, Chase Stewart from the football perspective did a great report a couple of years ago on how, you know, we think of like, uh, sacks as a, a, an offensive line stat, but, uh, he kind of showed that it was very much more a quarterback stat, you know, over the course of time, like it didn't matter who, who was protecting, uh, Peyton Manning. He never took a lot of sacks, you know? Um, and over the course of time, it's actually pretty stable how many quarterbacks a sack or how many sacks a quarterback takes per year. And it doesn't waver a whole lot, even when the offensive line changes. So, um, I, I like that you brought up that point, but as for a, a prop, you know, just sticking with uh, FanDuel Sportsbook, let's just talk about some Odell Beckham because, you know, that's what everybody wants to hear about. Um, I was looking as many, you know, I looked at a bunch of his props. I saw that they, uh, FanDuel Sportsbook had him at 12 to 1 to lead the NFL in receiving yards. Didn't love that value. Um, but I saw him at 20 to 1 to lead the NFL in receiving touchdowns. Um, he, uh, he has averaged 0.5 touchdowns per game in his career, even though he's been playing with the petrified remains of Eli Manning. Um, and then you, you look at the guys who FanDuel Sportsbook placed ahead of him, like had have better odds to lead the NFL in receiving touchdowns. Devontae Adams, number one. He's only averaged uh, 0.53 touchdowns per game. So that's significantly less than, Devontae, or than uh, Odell Beckham. Antonio Brown is second. He's going to get crushed by regression. He had a career-high 15 touchdowns last year. He's downgrading from Big Ben to Derek Carr. He's a terrible bet. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins, his third. He's only averaged 0.49 touchdowns per game. Uh, Travis Kelsey is uh, also ahead of Odell Beckham, but he kind of takes a hit because Tyreek Hill is not getting suspended. So I like that. I like that prop, man. Odell Beckham, 21 to le- 20 to one. To lead the NFL and receiving touchdowns, you bet twenty bucks, you turn it into four hundred if it hits. It's a great bet, man. That's a great bet. Any other hot takes you want to throw out to everybody to get everyone riled up before camp? <laughs> um, uh, Josh Gordon, Super Bowl MVP. <laughs> hey, Sashi, <laughs> back in the game today to the Wizards. Good for him, man. That, that's great. Back in sports, employed again. Good, that's good right. for him. But uh, we'll play. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, you're good. No, thanks so much for having me on, man. I mean, I, I love talking ball and sports in general with you, so uh, it, was, it was fun. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's my pleasure, man. You're one of the guys who pioneered this stuff, and it's always uh, it's always great to have you take a couple minutes for us in Brownstown. Talk about, real quick before you go, Evan, what's going on at Establish to Run? Yeah, so, I mean, if you're interested in any form of fantasy, we have just an unbelievable amount of content um, on the website. We have, you know, the offensive line rankings. I have every position tiered like you know 40 quarterbacks and 70 running backs and 70 wide receivers and big explanations on why every guy is ranked there of a top 150 that you can uh just like print off and bring to your draft you know that kind of makes life easy i have a bunch of dynasty content um we're going to start preseason dfs up real real soon mm. and preseason dfs if you've, if you've ever played i know it sounds ridiculous like degenerate but it's like the biggest edge of any daily fan. You know, you, you jump on FanDuel or, or DraftKings or whatever during the regular season. It's real hard to win. I mean, it's gotten hard to win. If you're doing your homework in preseason DFS, you can win some, like, serious money. And, um, you know, we'd be looking at guys like Dontrell Hilliard, you know, for the Browns. Um, a little bit uh, – Ish Hyman uh, is, is a guy that we'll be looking at. 
Yeah. Um, you know, guys like that further down the roster, guys that are going to play like a half, you know, in a preseason game. And uh, we're going to have awesome content uh, on preseason DFS and then DFS all, all season long. We're going to cover the XFL uh, daily fantasy after the season. Um, you know, just any any form of fantasy, if you're interested, uh, come check it out. Establish the run dot com and at establish the run on Twitter. Yeah, both great. Evan's on uh, Twitter at Evelyn Silva. You're probably following him. If not, again, rectify that and go to Establish the Run. Learn as much as you can about football, this beautiful game that we're learning more and more about. And they're doing a great job of giving you guys nonstop weekly lead-ups, insights, information, and it'll only help your uh, your football season become a brighter, brighter part of things. So, Evan, appreciate you joining me, man. Thanks, buddy. All right, guys, we'll be back. I'm going to come back Thursday or Friday. I'm going to give you guys a, a you know first few days of training camp pod. Uh, I hope you guys will enjoy that. It's exciting times. Thursday's almost here. Practices are early with Freddie Kitchens this year, 10 to 12, so pay attention to Twitter. I'll try to update the depth chart as I th- see things go in and out throughout that time. But, uh, yeah, we're finally making it. Next time you hear from me, we'll be in the thick of training camp and some good news storylines. So, again, big thanks to Evan Silva for jumping on the pod tonight. Appreciate you guys listening. iTunes reviews, subscriptions, those are always appreciated. I love you guys giving feedback. Those things help me out, help out Blue Wire. Listen to all the Blue Wire pods that are out there. Things are taking off for us, and we really appreciate you guys listening. So, log them back on later this week. Until then, go Browns. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.